Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen. What up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Progression Project Podcast. Today's guest on the show is Jeremy Riggs. Been kind of on a downwind dive lately, and Jeremy is on the top of the list of folks I wanted to talk to. I've also had some great conversations with uh, Dave Kalama. He's been helping me out and just did the James Casey podcast, which will probably double release, probably re- release it here and on his show as well. And just a huge thanks to those guys for helping me out, um, support them. You know, Dave's boards are insane. I'm riding one of those right now. And I know the Barracuda is next level from what I am hearing from everyone. And James got the downwind course and check out paddle with rigs on instagram for everything that jeremy is doing his meetups on tuesday flatwater starts all that kind of stuff there's three legends in the downwind arena so check it out before we dive in today i want to talk about something that i think and it's something i talk about on the show a little bit but i think it's getting so exciting and that is the aftermarket parts that are starting to come for foiling. And there's two facets to it. One, it is a great way to get into new gear without the expense of having to buy the entire rig. So if you get a mast like a No Limits or a Sadrus, you are able then to start switching between foils at a much lower cost. And that's very cool. But what I'm freaking out on and what I love is it's the first time you're really able to test apples to apples foil setups because you can ride same mast, same tail, different foil to really feel the difference. And, you know, in the last month, I really feel like I'm on the dive right now with Cliffy with what we're doing with Unifoil. And that's been incredible because I've been learning so much of the technical you know, physics side of hydrodynamic side of foiling at the same time that I've been on a deep dive in translating feels, um, separating, maybe that's a better way to say it, separating out feels of mast and tail and, you know, foil and my understanding of what makes something good has changed a lot. There's so much nuance involved in it, but I feel like starting to 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 get a to get a handle on what makes a foil feel the way that I like it to feel. Um, and so that's been just a, a really interesting dive. So you've got foil parts doing the Cabrina adapter now. Support Daniel. He's been helping out for a long time in this whole world. Um, you've got uh, Jim Stringfellow, who's working with TJ over in Oregon, doing adapters for No Limits now and different custom fuses. Um, you've got Kyle at Sadris has been doing that for a little while. Different feel on the masts depends on on you know it's a preference thing there. And yeah, just just check it all out and enjoy it. So, all right, short intro today because the surf is finally good. It's been a long time since we've had good surf and I'm trying to run out there, trying to knock out the show a little bit here. And 
it looks like today is going to be a clean two to three foot day. And then tomorrow we get some pretty fiery north winds straight north, which should be maybe the first real downwind day since I really feel like I've gotten my head wrapped around it. So I'm going to try to do an epic send tomorrow. So yeah, it's uh, so fiery. All right. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Hit me with questions, comments, feedback. Let me know what you think and yeah, have fun. Great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, super excited to get things off, to start it off. How would you describe yourself? Well, I'm just a father of two girls and love just being out in the water and being outside. And I don't know, I just want to kind of show the kids that lifestyle and hope that they can have the same kind of experience with the ocean that I do, you know, when you get out there and anything that's bothering you or anything that you don't want to think about, it kind of disappears. So it's just a great all around experience living close to the water. And I've always wanted to to be close to the water. So here I am in Maui. (laughs) How old are your girls? 11 and 13. You have in the water yet? Oh, yeah. They're surfing. They're playing around with the wing, but not with the foil yet. And paddle canoe with me. They paddle canoe with the canoe clubs here on Maui. And right now they're in uh, volleyball. Oh, epic. My daughter plays volleyball. She just had a tournament in Orlando this weekend. She's traveling. Oh, awesome. Awesome. How old is she? She's 15. Okay. She's 15. Yeah. This is their first year into it. So they're just uh, getting a taste of it. And it's been kind of slow because of, you know, just the comeback from COVID Mm -hmm. is slowly getting back into the swing of things. So, you know, we haven't had a game yet. So I'm pretty excited for that day to come. (laughs) Awesome. There is, uh, there's nothing better than sharing the water with your kids. You know, my son foils and he actually broke his foot about a month ago and just got back in the water now. And I really missed it just hanging out with him and what happens yeah. about 45 minutes of spending time in the water when all the guards drop and you're just hanging out. It's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. We were down at the beach yesterday and the wind started coming up pretty strong and the kids are just playing in the little shore break and the wind made it better for them because now there's a little bit more waves for the ride on their boogie boards. and. Yeah. <laughs> Just hanging out, having a good time. I thought they were going to want to go because the conditions were getting kind of sloppy. And they don't really do downwinds with me yet. They have, but it's not like they see it turn on and say, oh, I got to grab, grab my board. But they, you know, they just didn't want to get out. I'm like, all right, this is great. <laughs> Where are you from? Yeah. I don't think that's I'm from, an accent. I'm from Wilmington, North Carolina. Right. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, so I'm pretty excited about the basketball game today. Yeah, it's going to be a good one. How good was that Duke-UNC game? Yeah, that was amazing. I've always been a UNC fan since uh, Michael Jordan days, so I felt good. Either way, I was going to be really cool with whoever won, even though I've always kind of pulled against Duke. But, you know, seeing Mike Krzyzewski having his last final year it wouldn't have been too big of a deal for me. But, you know, I am glad UNC won. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, it'll be a good game tonight. How did you get started in you you were an open ocean paddler first, right? I mean, both uh canoe and then uh sup. I remember from the sup days you went Yeah, in. well, be- before that, I first started doing the prone paddling. Okay. And I I got started doing that because I'd see Dave Kalama come home from the beach with this long skinny board in the back of his truck and started asking him about it. And he just told me what it was all about. So I ordered a prone paddleboard, a 12 foot stock prone paddleboard. And I got that in the years 2000. And at that time, all I did was ride boogie boards. When I moved to Maui, I was coming out as a bodyboarder and so i'm looking to get in some other sport you know and i got that 12 footer and then i got invited to go on a run with dave and a couple other guys was laird hamilton scott Tradon, and man alan cadiz and buzzy kerbox all these guys that were really good at these downwind runs already and they jump in the water at hokipa and they just ran and jumped on their boards and this is my first time jumping on my board and i i knew i wasn't gonna just run and jump on it and glide out and start paddling so i just kind of put it in the water and and hopped on it and rolled right off the other side (laughs) so and i didn't know anything at all about downwind just thought you know you just get out there and you paddle with the wind and paddle as hard as you can you know get some exercise and so i figured how how much faster can these guys be if we're just paddling? <laughs> I found out real quick. <laughs> uh, I'm paddling like they're just like, I get out to the lineup and I've kind of got to, you know, spread my legs to use them as outriggers just to balance to get out there. And <clears throat> they're waiting for me and I say, okay, we're just heading down, down the coast. So just head that way. And I start paddling probably as, just windmilling as fast as I can once they start paddling. And they're just uh, gliding by me with one stroke, (laughs) one hand on the board looking over, and I'm just going like, you know, nonstop paddling. (laughs) (laughs) And they passed by and they were out of sight. And they waited for me. And they're like, how you doing? I'm like, good, man. But I'm still just going full speed with the paddling and it's just like well keep going <laughs> so pass me again and you know i'm like wow these guys are just cruising and they stop one more time and wait so there's the house we're paddling into we'll see you there and the last time dave hung back and he gave me some tips on the timing and and when to paddle and then i started catching these bumps because prior to that i was just paddling with really no idea about catching the bumps. And from that moment on, I was hooked. It was like, okay, I'm not going to go with that group again (laughs) because I held them up quite a bit. So I found a buddy to to start paddling with, and we were both learning at the same time. And it was just like something I wanted to do every day when I got off of work. I would get off at 3.30. There was enough time to get a run in, and if anybody was into it, I was going so I did that for about four years, and then I got into the stand-up paddling. And the stand-up was amazing because, you know, all this time that we spent on the prone boards, you're catching these glides, and 
I just wanted to stand up and ride it. But on those 12 foot prone boards, you really can't stand on them out in the ocean and you don't want to lose it. We were never wearing leashes back then. So you just kind of bear hug it whenever things went a little south and try to hold on to it. But, you know, stand up came about and now you're able to actually stand up and step back and walk up and down the board and make turns and ride these swells. So that was uh, really exciting. And then I kind of lost my interest in the, the whole prone paddling, even though I was training to do a Maui to or Molokai to Oahu, the stand up just became something I just wanted to focus on. So I never ended up doing that race on a prone board. My first experience was on a stand up from Molokai to Oahu. And from there on, it just kind of went to, you know, doing other channel crossings and doing as many as I could and trying to get more people involved. So that's another thing. Once you get in the downwind, it's it's time to start recruiting your friends too. <laughs> I'm in that mode right now with downwind foiling here. I'm the only guy who has a board so far. So, oh yeah, begging everybody to get boards. How did you first get on foil? I did that back in probably like 2000 and. To 2004 when you know that was another thing that i saw dave and laird doing i was living next to dave so i would you know get to see all these new things and exciting stuff that they were doing back when they were running with the strap crew you know and had that piahi break all to themselves so i'd see them all amped up when they'd come home from that and just talk to them about what they're doing and then i saw this foil board that they were using and they, you know they just hyped it up told me all about it and had an extra one that they were going to sell and get rid of so i scooped that up had a friend that was into it and wanted to try it so we had a we got a pair of ski boots so that we could clip into this thing and went out and started learning and man it was a wild ride because you're just going behind a jet ski and no waves at all and just getting bucked up and down like a fucking bronco and <laughs> just l- losing it and then you know finally figuring it out and then realizing wow you know you don't even need a a ramp or anything and you just tilt back and you can bust these airs and we're connected with ski boots so it was like it, you had a lot of control it was really cool and then we en- ended up taking it into the waves and started getting these, you know, pretty good sized waves, nothing like Piahi size. It was more like double overhead, you know, stuff that fairly safe <laughs> it was about the biggest that we'd get into. But when you wipe out with that thing attached, it felt like uh, slow motion underwater because you're just kind of tumbling and you got PFD on, got this thing connected to your feet. So, I I was surprised that the wipeouts weren't worse, but at the same time, like I said, we weren't dealing with the bigger waves that those <laughs> that Dave and the other guys were riding at the time. Do you still have the foil? No, I wish I did. That though, it was pretty cool. I, 
it was just attached to a regular surfboard. It was just in the beginning when they started to get this thing going. And I got one of the ones that they were willing to get rid of. <laughs> Man, that'd be such a rad piece to have right now. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I don't even know what the size would be like, you know, and thinking back. Because it was just the process, you know, of getting the jet ski ready and having to do that every single time you went out. And it's kind of around the same time stand-up paddling was getting into the swing of things and boards were being made that were really fun to surf. And now we could go out to these outer reefs and catch these waves on our own. Mm-hmm. So now we're really starting to get into bigger wave riding on the outer reefs with the subs. And man, we had so many waves to choose from on glassy days, which sometimes it's rare on Maui, but when we do get them, we may get them for, you know, two weeks straight. And those weeks are just amazing when you can get out to a spot that is empty. So it was just amazing to find these waves and discover all these different spots on the outer reefs, you know, kind of knowing about them and paddling past them during downwind runs. That's kind of one of the ways I was able to kind of figure out, okay, I know to avoid this place, but what if I, you know, what if it's not windy? What's it like? And then we'd go out there on the stand-ups. And, of course, a lot of people already knew about them, but it was rare to see someone paddle out that far on a shortboard. So stand-ups had to kind of a whole lot to choose from. That's what hooked me on stand-up. I, you know, I was did a, my last four or five years in Costa Rica, I predominantly stand-up surfed. And it was just access to waves. I mean, spots started getting crowded and waves that were better were going unridden every day. And I was like, this is kind of silly. Just changed my mentality a little bit. And I can like go back 30 years in time (laughs) by myself and better serve. Yeah. And and now the same thing is happening with foiling because, you know, we would have this place that would go. It's really popular spot uh, for stand up for longboarding anything it's uh, at Kanaha and just down from Kanaha's Ka'a Point so if you got too crowded you paddle over to Ka'a and catch a few waves but the wave wasn't nearly as good you could get two turns on it whereas at Kanaha you can get oh man it's a pretty long ride so you know lots of turns maybe a nose ride more turns and kick back out and get a pretty good long paddle out. But now we're finding that cop, you know, it just has a shoulder. Once that wave stops breaking, it just continues to roll all the way to the beach. And it is, if you catch it from the outside to the inside, it's easily, if you just go straight to the beach, a half mile. So if you go, you know, back and forth and make the turns you can really stretch it out is that probably as long as a mile oh my goodness is that where i'm seeing the videos of you guys just carving to the beach on the yeah 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 Yeah. and it's wide open you know there's so many little spots that you can sit at 
and uh, you know the parking lot might be packed and there's hardly anywhere to park it's a good sized parking lot too but when you get out in the water and you run into one of your friends you may see them sit outside with them and talk to them for you know a minute or a while before you get a wave but as soon as you both catch a wave you're not going to see each other for another 15 20 minutes if even if you do so <laughs> Yeah, because the ride in takes two and a half minutes or longer, and then the paddle out takes, you know, depending on what board you're paddling back out, you know, 12 to 15 minutes. So that's why you guys are riding the bigger boards there for that? Not really. The, the paddle was never an issue, but these bigger boards now were, you know, where we were taking off. Now we can paddle out. Maybe it seems like, you know, when you're sitting in the lineup and you see the waves coming for the next set, wherever you can see that wave is you can paddle out to and get on it. Oh, that's epic. <laughs> yeah. So we're able to go a lot further out. And they also allow us to get some of the bigger waves because catching big waves at the breaking point is pretty sketchy on a foil. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you can get in before it hits to that breaking point, then you have a chance to kind of set your line and not be in a, a, a super critical part of the wave <laughs> on the foil. You can set yourself up for that if you like, but you know, when it's big, uh, it's kind of like being on the shoulder is pretty fun. <laughs> oh man. Let's let's dive in to downwind. I want to learn as much as I possibly can. My eyes in the last two weeks, three weeks, have just been open to the possibilities on our coastline. You know, we started, I don't know if you listen to the show or know what we're up to here in Florida, but our crew here has been doing what we call shore runners, which is chipping in when you have good angle on the swell and basically running the shoreline in and out of the surf, which is incredibly fun because you get to surf, you know, 30 waves in a run. Yeah. Uh, hard cardio game though. And it's not really, I thought it was more similar to downwind than I'm realizing now that I've kind of, I want to say the crack the code, but like I'm downwinding now. And there's a big difference, you know, it's, uh, you're not going to crank the turns that you're doing in the surf, but you're not working nearly as hard, just kind of setting your lines and finding the bumps. And to the point now where I'm, pretty i day i have a 64 kalama and it's i can chip on almost any day now that there's just a little bump yeah um, which is awesome i you know on a 1440 takuma is what i predominantly use on it okay um, you know actually one other thought here real quick it wasn't until we started winging that i realized that we'd have real downwind on offer because the way that our coastline shoals you know, we have a real long continental shelf here. It stays pretty right. shallow. You don't really get good bumps until you get offshore farther than you want to go unless you know there's something good out there. <laughs> you know, like right. almost about a half mile out is where it starts to really change. Like the energy moves at a much greater angle to the beach. There's more energy. And then as it starts to come in, it dissipates and, and starts to, you know, like level out with the beach. And so on the wing we started seeing the opportunities 
And then on the shore runners, I started going out farther and then started working on how to get up on the Kalama board. And then now I'm just paddling offshore for about 10 or 15 minutes and then popping up. And then you can stay in the same line pretty much. It's actually a lot easier to go offshore most days than to go back towards shore with the way that the seams are running. But uh, I want to learn as much as I possibly can while we get to talk and watching you and, you know, Dave and, and your crew, you guys are light years ahead of where anyone but maybe James Casey or a couple other guys are. So um, like how did downwind start for you and talk about like the evolution process of how you were catching bumps and then as gear progressed and your, I guess, mentality of what foils to ride, all that, I want to soak up what you've learned and the journey that you went on. Yeah, well, you know, coming from the background with canoe paddling and the stand up, you learn to be patient and wait for the good ones. And then when you're on the good ones, that's when you're doing the most work because you want to stay on them. Mm -hmm. And so on a canoe or a, a stand up, once you get on a good one, you've got to really be sprinting at times to stay on it and make connections. But now on a foil, once you're on a good one, it'll carry you so much longer without as much effort. You know, you're going to have to pump it here and there to, to stay on those good ones, but uh, it still doesn't require near the effort it does that, that it took to stay on it with a stand-up or a canoe. So one of the things that you have to realize when you're going downwind is just trying to go straight down when you get on a bump is not going to be the most efficient and easiest way to go about it because you have to realize that there's all these bumps waiting for, you know, that are opportunities for you to ride, but you have to wait for them. So it's a matter of realizing when it's going to be too hard to stay on the bump that you're on to make a move with the foil, you can easily go hard left or hard right and kind of slow down while you wait for the wave that's coming behind. So I don't know, being on a, you know, walking down a mountain, but the mountain's moving underneath you. And if you let it move underneath you, you're going to have more of a downhill walk, mm -hmm. you know, never paddling uphill or foiling uphill. So you just in from a surfing background, getting into downwind, you just don't, at first, I didn't realize how important it is to wait for these bumps to come and not to, to stay ahead of everything. That was a big um, moment for me when I realized at the beginning, I was always trying to go forward when we were doing shore runners and I'd find myself pumping uphill a good bit. Yeah. You know, I like to ride pretty small wings when I do it too. So, you know, you'd stall every once in a while or you're just making it really difficult. And then there was a moment, I think it was after Dave's podcast, one of the podcasts, I don't remember who exactly, but, um, to start looking backwards or Kahi maybe. And, yeah, you know, and when your bumps going away, you know, kind of peel out when you still have speed and that changed the way that I look at the ocean completely. It was one of the things I've been thinking about a lot is that, you know, I've surfed since I was a kid 
and I had a you know pretty decent understanding of the ocean through my lens. And now with winging and now with downwind, I'm seeing the ocean completely differently in a complete light after being a part of it for 30 years, which is yeah. so beautiful to think that there was so much more on offer that I never saw before. Actually, I've been thinking a lot about how that applies to other areas of life and how we probably just walk around and there's all these things that are just really incredibly deep and beautiful that we just walk right past because we don't have the depth of knowledge to understand them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, man, it is exciting when you get into it, like in the stage you're at learning when to go, you know, how to get on foil as easy as possible, you know, waiting for those easy chip in shots. And then on the recruiting side of it, you know, trying to get your friends into it. I know when I was doing that on stand-up, my, my surfing friends that were surfing stand-ups were like, hey, I don't really want to do this for the exercise. I just like surfing. I was like, well, is this surfing? <laughs> it was just like, this is that's exactly why I'm out there because I'm just surfing all these bumps and there's no crowd. And in the summer, you know, we get south swells, but it gets pretty crowded. There's not a whole lot of spots like we have in the winter. Mm -hmm. So the North Shore is windy just about every day during the summer. So when the wind's blowing and the bumps are good, it's head high bumps all the way down the coast. <laughs> so eventually I talked some people into trying it and started getting into the hang of it and had a good time doing it. So they would start to talk to other friends and, you know, the community got pretty big. The stand-up was huge at one time. Mm -hmm. It's dropped off quite a bit now. Most people are winging, you know, that used to be stand-up paddlers. They've gotten into winging, and, and they're using the wing to get on these downwind runs. And, you know, we, we're trying to talk some of them into getting into it with, without the wing. And they want to, but they also know how easy it is with the wing to get going and how hard it is to learn to get going on a stand-up. So let me ask some questions about getting going on a stand-up. And so, I mean, at the beginning when I was trying to, I was doing everything wrong. I was trying to catch the swell, not the bumps. I didn't understand, like I've kind of figured out a way where you start building speed kind of in the direction you want to go and then you can chip. I'm on a pretty big foil that I can basically pop up flat water if it's really flat, I can pop it up. If it seems like if there's little bumps, I can't pop it up. That was another question I was going to have for you. And the just getting in, like, how, do you think it's easier or harder to get in in smaller or bigger bumps, first off? And talk through some of your techniques and what you're looking for. Oh, so I think it's easier to get started on small bumps. Okay. I, that's what I felt too. Yeah, you know, somewhere in that need a waist-high range is kind of like the easiest takeoffs you're going to get because those bumps aren't moving at a, you know, high speed yet. Mm -hmm. So it's a little bit easier to match the speed of those bumps. And I'm not really paddling forward in the bumps at all. I'm just kind of 
setting up the position that I think the book, the bump is going to come to me. So I've got the board at the right angle when I feel the bump that I want and I see the bump that I want. You know, a good indication for me is having a bump that has enough of a curve from the crest to the trough to where you feel like there's a little bit of space under your nose and the tail starts to get lifted on the board. And as soon as that happens, you know, your board is now at an angle down the slope and all you need to do is get the nose to come up to about horizontal. So you, you, you kind of push off of the, you take your stroke and you push and you pump and you get your nose to free up off of the water a little bit. And it's a lot different than a flat water start because flat water, your board is level and you need to get the nose to come above horizontal, you know, so you've got to get the nose to come up and then porpoise back down. And you do that a few times with some hard strokes and you will get the pop up. But when you have a bump picking you up and your board is now pointing down, all you have to do is get it to go horizontal. So it's not as much power and effort required if you time it right. And a good way to get a sense of that timing is on a good day when there's waves that are barely breaking at your surf break. If you wait to the very last minute when the wave's already hitting the tail wing, and starting to lift the tail of your board, and then you take your stroke and you pump at the same time, you start to get a feel for what it what that bump feels like when it hits your tail. Oh, and your takeoffs will be so much easier if you focus on learning and, and you know gaining that feeling of your tail being lifted. And now once out in big stuff or small stuff if i feel that i know i'm on in two or three strokes sort of like longboarding mm -hmm. when you see a longboarder sitting in the lineup and the wave comes and the longboarder just waits and spins around the last minute sinks the tail of the board yep and strokes in with just one hand or not even a stroke that's what i worked on in the surf zone with catching waves and now i'm out in the bumps you can definitely feel it get that same sensation and know okay this one's gonna let me in pretty easy that's super interesting when i was first starting and i just you know going way back two weeks here i would just get lined up and then kind of hammer in line with waves and try to catch all the bumps and it, it felt like i'd never really catch the first bump but a lot of times i would start taking off from the trough of the second so that's kind of what i do right now is i wait until i see like two bumps back to back and I'll start paddling at the top of the first bump. And then it feels like I start getting pulled from the trough of the second and I can get up pretty quickly. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's a, a great, you know, way to get going. Cause usually you're going to have two or three bumps that are really good in a, in a row that are great opportunities. And sometimes it is the, the second or third bump. That's going to be the easier one to take off on. Um, the other and, oh, go ahead. Yeah. The what you've done by going for that first one is set yourself up in the right position for when that second one comes. Gotcha. 
Gotcha. When I would catch the first bump, the other thing that I'd find is that by the time, by the time I was getting up on foil, I'd be pretty high on it and then be working real hard to get down the face or have to peel off and kind of pump to the next bump. Right. If I waited for the second bump, I was catching it lower and being able to just to take off on that bump and not have to work as hard. Yeah. Right. Yep. Makes sense. Then are you looking back at the bumps coming or are you looking straight ahead and just checking the trough? I am looking back until I see the bumps that I want. I okay. kind of stand there kind of just like maintaining balance in the direction I want with like really small strokes. Yeah. Or I just sit down until I see it. And then I will, when I'm paddling, I'm just looking forward when I'm trying to catch them. Yeah. Right. I don't know if that's good or bad. Well, in the small stuff, it's a little bit um, easier to pull that off. But when it's big, you know, you'll see these bumps. And, and by the time it gets to you, it might not be the same bump that you thought it was. So when it's bigger, it's more about just looking ahead and finding the, the pattern and setting yourself up. And then waiting for the one that has that look and has that feel oh that's cool yeah so i i have seen a couple of guys looking back over here over the shoulder and waiting for them that way but the majority of us especially the ones that already have downwind experience we're never looking over our shoulder just always looking ahead and finding that line and so you're from that perspective as the peak's passing you, you're like, okay, this is a big peak. I know there's another one coming. Yeah. As it starts. Yeah. That's, that's cool. What size foils are you mostly riding now on your downwinds? Do you ride? Use, yeah, I'm on the go foil and I use the 1150, the RS 1150 and the 14 and a half inch fixed tail wing. Okay. With the long fuselage. So that's the go-to. I use that just about, I don't know, 80% of the time. And on the days that I know it's going to be good, on the North Shore, I'll use a 1,000 RS, 1,000. What do you weigh? I ask everybody that because it helps. 160. Okay. Oh. And I, use, I have the 6.1 by 23 production board that's been what I spent most of the time using downwind. I also have had a custom board that ended up selling that was a little narrower than that. And so I could get one of these Barracuda boards that we're now playing around. Since you mentioned it, let's dive in on that. I know you can't talk specifics of the Barracuda and I completely respect what Dave's doing there. I'm a huge fan of his design. Those look incredibly narrow. I mean, we can just say that off of what we're seeing online. What yeah. are the pros and cons of that? Because I find myself going a little offset on bigger foils to be able to manage turning. You don't really have much of a, the, not much capability to go offset on something that narrow. Are there any drawbacks to that? Is it helping that much in popping up? The pop-ups are definitely easier, but I guess the downside of it, it would, the only downside I can say that there is so far is if you are planning to use it as stand-up, it is harder to get to your feet in big bumps. You know, small stuff, it's not 
that bad, but when it's bigger and a little bit confused, then the, the wider, shorter boards are going to be more stable. Even a wider, longer board will be more stable. But if you can get to your feet, then the pop-up is going to be pretty easy compared to anything else. But, you know, the idea with these boards wasn't to use them as stand-up boards. We're all just kind of shocked that we can stand on them and they work. So it's been a, a positive, you know, on the multifunction use of this board because it kind of was built to be a prone downwind board. And I haven't had a chance to do it. I've only had this, had three downwind runs on this board I have. And I've just decided to use it as stand-up just to get used to it. Because one, one of the things that you have to get used to is the side-to-side sensitivity. You know, as soon as you lean to the right, you're going to turn to the right. And since the board is narrow, you know, it only takes a little bit of foot pressure on that right side to make that turn. So the boards turn quicker and easier than the shorter, wider boards, Interesting. which was a surprise, you know. So, of course, in the, with that also comes a little bit more instability if you get up right away you know it's so sensitive that if you make a mistake you may end up getting off balance so it takes a little bit of getting used to not that big of a deal but the benefit of having that you know that ability to turn on a dime as soon as you want with a minimum effort is pretty amazing and just like i said just popping up on it you actually can get the board on a bump and gliding and then engage your pop-up technique with your legs and pop up. Whereas the shorter boards, they don't really get on the swell and start gliding like, you know, like a canoe. You know, in thinking about gliding and the power required to take off, you know, coming from sup surfing, and I used to ride really small boards and, you know, want to be as radical as possible. The paddles I liked were all cut to my nose and I liked really small blades. And yeah. So I kind of started on, and I was never a distance paddler. I kind of stayed far away from, you know, that at the endurance side of the sport. And now coming into the downwind sup, I brought some of that baggage with me. And I think now I'd rather have a very stiff, much bigger blade, a very stiff paddle with a much bigger blade so I could generate more power in just a couple strokes. Is that directionally correct from what you felt? Yeah, I uh, definitely, I was doing, you know, I was doing some flat water stuff at the beach and Dave was down there and he had just gotten that new paddle from Quickblade. Hey, let me try that. And I was just like, I couldn't believe how much more power I had. So he got the 115 from Quickblade, Ono Ava. And I, I didn't know if I needed that big of a blade. So I went with the 105. and. I feel like that's plenty for me, you know, um, at my height and weight, I would say it's perfect. But, you know, if you, maybe if you're a bigger guy like Dave and can, you know, power yourself up and got more, got healthy shoulders and maybe the 115 is the way to go, you know, I'm guessing he's around 200 pounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
figure out. I'm going to see if some of my buddies here who have subs have different size paddles I can borrow to test before I commit to a size. Well, the other thing about that paddle is the angle of the blade is greater. Okay. So most paddles have a 10 degree angle at the blade where it kicks out. And the quick blade has a 15 degrees. Pushing down on the water a little bit more than so yeah, you know, with these when you look at someone paddling in a surf stance, trying to get on a bump, sometimes the blade isn't going in as far out in front as you normally would with a sitting down in a canoe or standing up on in a parallel stance. And your your blade goes in and as as you paddle. The power phase is up until that blade gets to where it's vertical in the water. And once it's past vertical, now you're pushing your board back down. And you never really want to go past that vertical stage, stand-up paddling or canoe paddling. But on a foil, it's kind of that moment. You're just at the very end of the stroke where you're able to power off of that exit with your back foot and kind of use that paddle as a somewhat of a pole vault to launch your feet up and over into that porpoise move that we we try to do with the legs to to get going so with a greater angle on the blade you get a little bit more power up until you get to that vertical spot that makes a lot of sense that makes a lot of sense. One of my goals here over the next month, and hopefully we'll have some good days tomorrow might be really good, is to work down to the 1210, maybe the 1095. But I'm still a little bit apprehensive of ruining good sessions by being on foils that are too small. I know once I'm up, those are the foils you want to be on. The other day I was in a, did a prone downwinder, chipped in and, and pumped way out back. I was on the 1440. It's beautiful on all the bumps, on all the seams, but as the swell came through, it wasn't fast enough to stay with the swell. So it was kind of weird because it was easy, really easy to basically go offshore. But then, you know, it was hard to catch the set, the sets to to come back in. Uh, yeah, that, well, that's going to make it pretty exciting for you when you get down to, you know, using a smaller foil because that is one of the things that you have to deal with the bigger foils when you're learning. You're not going to be able to keep up with the faster moving swells. Right. Yeah. So you're, you know, it's great because you are learning how to peel off and set yourself up for the one behind. So that's important skill to have. But, you know, as you get better at your pop-ups and you know that you're going to be able to get lifted anytime, then a smaller foil is definitely going to give you a little bit more opportunities to stay on things that are moving quicker. Yep. Yep. I, I think I'm going to try the 1210 tomorrow and, and see how it goes. I, I have enough time to do a couple runs if I have a shocker. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> funny, man. Cause I mean, as soon as you get into this downwind game, it's like you're always constantly checking the wind forecast. And obviously, must be some wind coming for you tomorrow. It's not going to be hard. It's going to be like, 13 to 20, but it's got a great direction on it to create pretty good bumps offshore. Oh, nice. And I found that, you know, yesterday I went out on a day that I was like, well, if I can do it today, I can do it on any day. And I ended up having a great run. I couldn't even believe it. You know, it was awesome. Like 
10 gusting to 15 and it just started that morning. I mean, it was, you know, mini white caps. Yeah. And it was incredible. And so that just got me so frothy because that's the day that there's nothing else on offer. I mean, it wasn't strong enough really to wing. And so, wow. yeah, it was just, Florida has just become through foiling just this playground where there's something on offer kind of every day. You have to be flexible. Yeah. You know, you couldn't just do downwind or just prone or whatever, but if you're winging and downwinding and shore running and proning, you know, <laughs> there's a lot to do. Yeah, that's the same thing, you know, here. It's just even the flatwater stuff. If there's nothing else going on, I'm going to go out and have a fun flatwater workout. <laughs> <laughs> You're starting insanely small foils flatwater now. Like, yeah, yeah, that's the, the other thing with these uh, barracuda boards. It's definitely opened up that flatwater game. If, you know, if you lived on uh, at a place that's all you have was flatwater, then you probably could work down to as skinny as you could imagine <laughs> to make it so easy on yourself to get up in flat water and have a good time. Now, uh, the last flat water practice we had, I was popping up, trying to get as much speed as I could and then try to do a 360 loop and then continue to pump out of it. So, you know, there's always this new challenge. Austin Kalama was at practice and he was popping up and he would get as much speed as he could and he would do a 360 air and try to land that and keep going oh, that's insane yeah <laughs> see that someone did that i don't they i think doc started but did a backflip and kept going pumped out of it and flipped. oh yeah yeah that's wild that was nuts yeah um you know it's funny because i haven't really never had that i haven't tried a doc start and i haven't been on a tiny prone board. I use my stand up for prone a few times because, you know, we're out at Kaa and just figured leave the paddle in the truck and use my stand up and go out. And the Barracuda, I use that as prone. And, you know, one thing about that Barracuda is sometimes we get a little bit of a north wind while we're surfing. It'll be five miles an hour, really not messing up the waves at all. But when you start to pump back out against that wind, you really can feel that it slows you down, makes it harder. But the Barracuda is so aerodynamic that it makes it quite a bit easier to pump into the wind. That makes a lot of sense. I, I, it's almost impossible for me to pump my 6.4 Kalama back into the wind. You know, I spend so much time on little tiny prone boards, and that's kind of no problem. Yeah. But, man, it just crushes me. Yeah, it's definitely a workout. You got any kind of headwind. Yeah, I'm only going one way on that thing. Talk about some of your best experiences on downwinders. What are your, some of your favorite runs or best moments on the water? Well, just the, I guess the best moments are when you get to pop up next to one of your friends and ride next to them the whole time. And, you know, just you're hooting each other on. Because in the beginning, we were all, you know, at different levels with our pop-ups and we would get popped up but we wouldn't be that close to each other we could see we could maybe see each other but we were spread out pretty far but we've all you know as we've gotten better we've gotten to a point where we can all pop up pretty much at the same time mm -hmm. and now we'll have a group of three or four of us and 
everywhere you look, there's one of your buddies, you know, making a sick turn, getting a, <laughs> a really nice bump and just flying down the thing. So just seeing all that and, you know, realizing that whenever anyone's up on foil, if we pop up at the same time, it's pretty easy to stick together unless somebody falls. Mm-hmm. Then your separation happens really quick. <laughs> so, and back when we were starting out, it was rare that someone would stop if someone else fell because the pop up was so hard. <laughs> <We're> like, <laughs> all right, good luck. But <laughs> now we're all like, oh, yeah, I'll, I'll take a break. You know, I'll stop. I know it's going to be, you know, pretty easy to pop up again. So um, now we don't mind stopping, you know, it's like you don't have to, it's sort of like going up on a ski lift and getting off the top of the mountain and just bombing it every time. Now we can actually stop, sit down if we want, wait for somebody that's a little bit behind and then pop up and, and be together again. So you know, just the whole learning experience of it and getting to that point with our group has been really awesome. That's, that is amazing. Who's in your group? Who, who you mostly fly? I'm usually going with got Dave Kalama, Kathy Shipman, Andrea Muller, Shep, Nelson, Craig Carrera. Let's leave anybody out, but we've got Tomoko, Tomo, Devin Blish, Randy Royce. We've got quite a few people that are just looking at the forecast. Some of the guys that are a little bit just getting into it are looking to go on the Kihei side more often because Kihei starts out kind of smaller and gradually builds as you go down the coast. It's a little bit easier to take off on. There are no waves over there during the winter half the time, so it's just a straight down uh, downwind run. Mm-hmm. And but you know it doesn't turn on like every day like Maliko does on the North Shore, but the North Shore like has waves all winter long, mm-hmm. which you know we're riding windswell from the northeast and the waves are usually coming from the northwest. So when they cross paths, those waves kind of underline the troughs that you're looking at, and kind of makes it a lot harder tougher conditions to learn in for sure summertime those swells are gone we don't really have anything coming from the northwest and the north shore is just an epic playground for downwind for three or four months so when the swells stop rolling in then some of the guys that are learning now will start to move and join us on the north shore again but for right now kihei's the, the spot for learning and, you know, they're driving over there and they're waiting for it to turn on because it doesn't turn on until like 12 o'clock, sometimes mm-hmm. one or two o'clock. And you may only get like two hours, three hours. We were over there about a week ago and it was looking really good. We thought it was going to get even better. So we decided to park our cars at McKenna Landing and we were going to go for this 10 mile run which is the normal run. Some guys parked their cars at six miles and some at seven because they were, you know, didn't want to do the full run. Mm-hmm. We got out 
and it was so good and it was just blowing and bumps were amazing i was thinking oh man this is gonna because it builds as you go down i was thinking this is just gonna be huge by the time we get to the end of this run but at about seven miles in the wind stopped and now we've got as we keep going we're starting to run into headwind oh no and bumps coming at us from where our cars are parked (laughs) (laughs) so we were a mile and a half offshore at that point and i was on the barracuda and i was using it as a stand-up but once uh, we hit that spot now we got bumps going in both directions and kind of splashing against each other a mile offshore now i've got to paddle in and i can't stand on this board because the conditions are too choppy I, I couldn't even sit on it and paddle it. So I had to, you know, lay down prone style and paddle it in. And we all were in the same boat, you know. Dave was on a Barracuda. He had to do the same, tuck his paddle under his chest, paddle in. My buddy Craig, he was on a, one of the stand-up Kalama boards production, and he was able to just sit on it and knee paddle and use his paddle. You know, we're, we're on the Barracuda, so we just got to lay down to stay on those things to, to paddle them in. But, you know, it took about 30 minutes, 20 minutes for some of us, depending on how far we were out. And there was eight of us in that group. Wow. What do you all <laughs> do for safety? That's something we've been we talking are, about here a lot. Yeah. We all have phones in our pack. I, I carry a Vicobi PFD that has a pouch on the back that I can put a water bladder in. I carry a little bit of water. I don't fill it up because I don't really drink that much of it, but it is nice to have a little. Vicobi? Yeah. And so it's a PFD that you're wearing. Is it like inflatable? No, it's not inflatable. It's just a zipper in the front. It has two pockets in the front, which I can put some tools in and a big pouch in the back that I put the water bladder in and a couple more tools. You know, you want whatever tools necessary to do any kind of wrenching on your foil. If something comes loose and you can tighten it up. And usually most of us have some inner tube rubber, you know, cut strips of that because from the canoe days and sup days, you know, if, if something goes wrong with your rudder, then you can at least tie it off. So and you can also you know if you cut yourself you can at least wrap it with something and stop the bleeding until you get in i carry zip ties i've had you know leash strings break when i was taking people out downwind and to just to fit another string into that leash hole was pretty hard to do so i realized okay i'm just going to take zip ties it's so much easier i can zip tie a leash to the to the board in the water quicker than i can thread a piece of string through that little leash connection especially if you got you know somewhat cold hands and their fingertips get numb then it's hard to work a piece of string so zip ties come in handy yeah why a phone over an apple watch is there well I, i don't have an apple watch so i just put my phone in a dry bag around my neck so uh, an apple watch would be great to have i really don't have experience using those but sometimes when you're relying on something like that that you have to touch a screen 
the screen doesn't always cooperate. So the hack for that, that's always been my problem with it. And I have one that I just use for when I'm kind of out offshore in the ocean. Yeah. There's a setting where you can disable the lock on it. So you no longer have to lock it. And then you can use Siri to make phone calls. So you just have to push one button and say, call whoever. Yeah. Uh, and that saves me so much. I'm trying to convince everyone here that I'm doing this with to, to have the watch. Because a lot of times we're just doing runners where you're not going to have, you when you're paddling prone, you kind of can't wear a PFD and all of that. So right. I'm trying to convince everybody to get Apple Watches with the service. I think that's, for me, it's been amazing to have that. I use it all the time. Yeah, you know that with the PFD I had on, it did make it difficult to get comfortable to paddle in in a prone position. Mm -hmm. But it had a zipper in the front, so I just unzipped the front so that now my chest is on the board. There you go. And it was a lot more comfortable. And, you know, the vest kind of just goes under your arm and still gives you enough, plenty of room to paddle. But that that made it a lot easier to, to paddle in on the prone. But, yeah, I could see where you would probably want to have you know, if you're just chipping in on a prone board to go for a downwinder, a PFD would definitely be in the way. Have you guys had any, you know, crazy things happen when you're out there? Any injuries offshore or lost boards, anything like that? Yeah, you know, foiling is still not as big as canoe paddling and stand-up was at one time, but on stand-ups, yeah, lost boards, long swims, lost canoes, long swims and rescues. Um, foiling, I think there's probably more potential to have some something go wrong with the winging. You know, lots of times those wing leashes will break and now your, your wing's gone. I've actually fetched a wing that was lost and was doing a downwind run and one of the guys his leash string from his wing broke and i had never seen this a wing before this is when the very first were being met were being made it was ken winter and he had lost his he, you know he was one of the first guys to start making these wings he wanted he really wanted to do downwind runs but he was having a hard time doing it on a stand-up getting to his get up up to get up on foil so he had this idea with the wing and he started doing it and he i go out and he's he's going out with this wing and i thought oh this is cool and get to see what he's up to and not long after we got out into the wind he'd lost it and i saw it so i got on foil i surfed up to where i could get in front of it and then catch it as it's coming towards me. <laughs> but the thing just kind of caught wind. And it, I had no idea how big it was or what how it was made. <laughs> and I see this thing, it lifted like 15 feet in the air, and I'm sitting on my board right in front of it, and it just sailed over me. <laughs> so I was like, wow, that thing's pretty big, and it was moving really fast. So I don't know what it would have done if it would have came a direct line towards me. <laughs> so I, I popped back up on foil once it sailed past me and I just kind of rode right up to it and jumped on it and held onto it until, until Alan and Lisa, Alan Cadiz came up and he was with Ken and they were going in earlier than I was. So I handed it to Alan and 
he waited for Ken and gave it back to him. But yeah, the leash strings breaking on the wings, that's probably one of the things that is a concern. But the other one is, I guess, being on a board that doesn't float and using the wing that sometimes, you know, guys will go out and the wing will die on them. And if they're on a sinker board, then it takes a lot longer to get to shore than it would on a board that floats. So some of the guys uh, in the beginning were, you know, trying to go as small as they could with the boards winging downwind. Um, and some of them have had experiences to where they don't want to do that anymore because, you know, we have got some big fish in the water. And uh, I do know one guy had a, a visit from one of the bigger sharks out there and he was on a sinker Oh, and the wind had died. So he was, doesn't use that sinker anymore for the stuff that's way offshore. Yeah. I, I'm winging on the same Kalama right now. I love it. It's so oh, yeah. Up in anything. And then I like the balance. It's one of, you've probably seen the board. It was one of Dave's personal boards. So it, he glassed it super light. It's like, eight pounds, 10 pounds. I don't even know. And it's, it's a cheat code. Yeah. It's, you just kind of fly in anything what um, about sharks and foils. That's something that now that I'm spending more time offshore, I've started thinking about a little bit more than I normally do. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking about, you know, when I had to paddle in from Kihei a mile and a half, and that's an area that is kind of known to be sharky. So yeah, some of the guys are now carrying a knife, <laughs> something to just kind of fend themselves off and get to shore in case it comes down to it. But, and some guys have the shark. I have no idea how that works, but uh, just, they're just out there. I've seen them. I've seen them uh, on the North shore and on the South shore. And once I had one cut right in front of me and I was on foil and I thought I was going to T-bone it right in the side, but I, got high up on the foil and it was low enough in the water to where I missed it. That was only like a six footer, but you still, you know, you don't want to be anywhere close to anything like that. So I don't know. It's just don't really think about it too much. I would imagine the thought would come into your mind a lot more often when you're by yourself and in water that, isn't that clear no. <laughs> you just summed up what i'm doing right now we're getting into our warmer water season where the bigger fish leave so that'll be good although i mean i i hit a i'm pretty sure i hit a shark prone foiling just pumping out about a month ago wow i hit lumber you know and yeah it was weird i i don't know what else it could have been i did not see it but right it was weird yeah, I remember growing up in North Carolina, there was plenty of sharks. We'd see sharks in the shore break all the time and just get out for a little while. And once we thought it was gone, get back in the water. Yeah, I mean, there's so many dolphin here that you're seeing constantly. I just wonder what the ratio to sharks to dolphin are. And even if it's 10 to 1, it means there's sharks everywhere. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I did, I did a stand-up run and I was by myself, maybe... 10, 12 years ago, North Carolina, and the, the water was dark. It wasn't clear. Couldn't really see. 
I was by myself. So every little splash I heard, I'm like, what was that? I just wonder about what a foil looks like coming through at basically trolling speed. Right. You know, seems like. Yeah, I've heard stories of guys getting nibbled, you know, stopped in the tracks and a shark bite on the, I think there's been two guys that's happened to, you know, in the last four years, four or five years. Um, I don't know what the attraction was or anything like that. Just, just wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah. What's the percentage of guys winging versus people downwinding? right now is is winging much larger yeah yeah there'll, there'll be you know 40 to 50 guys going out with a wing on any good day throughout the day at ka'a and then more inside the harbor you know where it's only going to be like five to ten people going downwind at the most on a good day it, it's going to be really interesting to see if i still enjoy winging because all I wanted to do on the wing before was go out and ride bombs. But now I've just solved for that. Yeah, it's funny because I hardly, I got into the winging because I never windsurfed or kite surfed. So I wanted to get into one of the, you know, sailing aspects of this Mm -hmm. sport. So I got the wing and I went out and I started having fun with the wing, you know, learning and figuring out how to do jibes and tacks and a few other things. And then once I figured that stuff out, I felt like I didn't really want to push it to the next level with the aerials and stuff like that the guys are doing, because I know that's going to lead to possibly getting hurt. Mm -hmm. And I don't want to risk getting hurt because I don't want to miss any opportunities to go downwind. So, and downwind for me is... If I have a choice to go wing or go downwind, of course, I'm going to go downwind. Um, Winging now is more like taking it to the park with the kids. Mm -hmm. They ride their bikes and I ride the skateboard with the wing. And I have a lot of fun on the skateboard. (laughs) And then when I, you know, if I'm in the water and it's windy, I want to be going downwind without it. Yeah, I can see that happening pretty quickly i think especially as you start getting better downwind you know yeah and yeah and your community grows and you have more guys that you know are available to to hook up with and do the shuttling if you need yep i have the world's greatest wife who's generally stoked to come and grab me when i call her on the apple watch and say i'm Uh down the beach awesome yeah, she's amazing. Well, we're running up pretty close to your time window here. What haven't we covered that you think would be interesting or informational? Wow. Well, I, I got one if you don't. I just thought of something. Let's talk about efficiency of foils and what's happened in design over the last you know two years where foils have become much more efficient and what's ideal for matching foils to conditions for downwinding yeah uh well we all started uh basically most of us used the go foil 200 Mm -hmm. the maliko 200 to get going and that's a big wing but it allowed us to learn how to pop up you know even though it was not 
easy to pop up. And at, at this time, we're the boards weren't the boards they are right now. So we're trying to pop up on boards that are you know flatter bottoms and not as not as nice as of a, a release as what we have now. And shorter, you know, it was kind of like everyone was going to see what the shortest board they could use. So that makes it harder to pop up. And then on the 200, if you got on a big swell, the thing was really wanting to come out of the water. And if it did come out of the water, any part of it, then you're wiping out. And now the foils, you know, they're the designs are so much better. You're able to, like, the 2200 compared to the Maliko 200. Now you can still pop up the same amount of effort, but the 2200 is faster. It'll handle more swell. It won't feel like it's wanting to jack you up out of the water. And your tips can come out. You don't even notice it. Isn't that the best? Yeah. So, yeah, they're, they're way more forgiving. So you have better foils, better designed boards. It is becoming something that's going to be... M- more attainable of a goal for most people to do with the new equipment but yet still you know i'm i'm waiting for the perfect day to try that prone paddleboard and it kind of takes me back to my first days of doing downwind runs when i started out prone wanting to stand up on that prone board mm-hmm. now i'm going to be going out prone and i will be able to stand up as soon as i get a bump and <laughs> ride the rest of the way hopefully yeah but you know i never thought that prone thing, uh, pop-up would be any, wouldn't happen at all. But now that, you know, Dave and Tomo are, they're going and they've been going out and doing prone runs on really light wind days, which I just thought, man, how it's going to take, it does take some more time to pop up. You know, I was on my stand up watching them and they were a good five or 10 minutes into the run before they got a really good one in the light wind Mm -hmm. but when it's windy now they're going out and they're popping up as soon as they want pretty much doesn't take but a couple minutes to get going let me ask you this though like you know you have a long sup background i spent a lot of time on sups i don't really mind having a paddle in my hands i don't know like what the real benefit i mean what's the huge benefit because also you're not it's not like you're pumping in waves and pumping back out where you're really working to pump like i find when i'm pumping on like downwinders or even shore runners at this point you're kind of always working with energy so your pump is more like a little just kind of bounce to keep energy going while you're yeah. in between bumps so and sometimes it's really nice to have that paddle if you start to stall out or you mess something up you you know a couple pops on the paddle and you're right back up on foil which is yeah you know it, decreases stall speed by three miles an hour probably oh yeah so yeah, wait, you can save yourself a lot yeah so so what's the real benefit once you're already riding a big board to going oh just it's nothing but a challenge gotcha that's it it's just you know we've gotten to we've been doing this thing on stand-up for quite a while now to where we're, we're all pretty confident that we're going to be able to get lifted anytime and as long as the wind's not completely dead so it basically it's just come down to challenging yourself to to try something new and to make the run and 
you know, yeah, it's just kind of fun to surf, suffer, I guess, a little bit. <laughs> I agree, man. It's so fun to strap on the white belt and <laughs> out there. And it, it just makes it so good, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, we've definitely put our time in suffering when we were learning to do this downwind foiling thing on the stand-up. So, you know, just kind of putting yourself back into that predicament again and having that same joy of overcoming, you know, that anxiety and getting out there and doing something different. I love it. All right, what do you want to leave folks with? Parting beautiful words, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, every day is going to be a learning experience if you can get out there and, you know, put yourself in that situation. So uh, you, you don't really, you know, you're not able to make progress unless you, you fail a little bit. So don't worry about failing. Get out there and put your time in and overcome uh, all that anxiety and, you know, get to live the life and the dreams that you want i don't know that's basically where it is for me i keep pushing myself making new challenges and enjoying life that's about it well said i love it thanks so much for spending the time we appreciate it how do people find you how can they support you instagram is paddle with rigs basically a facebook page and that's the easiest way the website's kind of old and uh, sometimes if you click on it, it might take you to it, something else. I haven't updated in so long. So Instagram is probably the easiest way. Epic. Well, have a good day. And thank you for the time, brother. Well, thanks for having me, Eric. Project Podcast, deconstructing foiling, flow, and the learning process with your host, Eric Antonsen.